to see everybody. My name is Ryan. Welcome to Restoration. We're just really glad you're here today. We've been in a conversation this summer over the book of Ruth. It's an Old Testament story. It's about 3,200 years old, and uh, there's some difficult parts to it, Uh, but we've been kind of marinating in it all summer. Uh, We've been hanging out in it, and uh, this is week seven of that conversation. And uh, so we're glad you're here. And if you've missed anything um, up to this point and you wanted to catch up, you could do that online. But um, I just want to encourage you today is what we're doing today is we're diving into a theme that's pretty prevalent in this book. And um, it's going to challenge us. It's going it's gonna, it's gonna to rock our worlds, actually, um, because um, it has to do with how we deal with um, those who are on the outside. And so if you are um, joining us for the first time today, we're really glad you're here. Um, What we like to do is, as a teaching team, we have a team of people in our church that talks about what we talk about here um, on Sunday mornings. And and so this is a theme that is something that we really felt like we needed to present to you um, as a a church. And if you're new, just to us as people in the community um, and to see what uh, God would have for us with that. So let me just share with you a, a couple things, especially if you are new. We have these envelopes out front. Let me just say thank you for coming. Um, we're not bait and switching you. We don't need your information. We're not going to show up at your house or send you um, a whole bunch of emails. We're just, we just want to thank you for coming. And so in it, just a little information about our church and a gift card to Two Rivers, uh, Two Rivers Coffee. And so if you're new, we want you to have one um, and just uh, to be just thanking you. And so um, also a couple things that are happening in the life of our church. It's summertime, schedules are nuts. Uh, First thing is uh, for the ladies of the church, there's a few things happening. This Wednesday night um, is Fireside Chat at Gene Wysocki's. This is a great way to just hang out, get to know people um, if you're a lady um, only, okay? It's ladies' night and no guys are allowed. So uh, this is what's happening for, uh, Wednesday night. Friday mornings at Two Rivers Coffee, um, it's early, but ladies, there's a, there's a study that started up and at 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning, and we'd love to invite you out to that um, if you're in the neighborhood or if you uh, can handle getting up that early. Um, there's a group of women that are hanging out on Friday mornings at Two Rivers Coffee, so Love to have you a part of that as well. Next Sunday, we're having a baptism service here. Um, and so if you're interested in that and what that means, and if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. So, um, And then finally, there is an all-church shindig, summer shindig we're doing, and a barbecue, uh, lawn games, just, just having a great time together um, a couple Thursdays from now. So mark your calendars for that. Um, and man, love to have you invite anybody you want. It's just going to be great food and, and a lot of, really a lot of intense um, lawn games with serious, uh, I mean, there's just some seriously competitive people here. So if you're interested in throwing down some serious cornhole or uh, what's that one game we play? Spike ball. Okay, no one cares. So come to that. We'd love to have you. Um, I did want to let you know today... Um, we have a guest speaker, and you know him. Uh, Dan Zesvorka is going to be speaking. And I just wanted to share a couple things about Dan and Kelly. Dan and Kelly um, just so happened 
that uh, they came and joined uh, up with us this last year. And uh, they have been such a huge encouragement, not only to Angela and I, but to our leadership and to this church. Um, and if you've gotten to know them, uh, we're just, uh, you would agree. And if you haven't, well, there's something to check off your bucket list. And so we're going to hear from Dan today. Uh, but before we do, will you do me a favor, stand up, say hi to someone next to you. Oh no, keep, keep greeting each other. The longer we put this off, the better I'll feel. All right, let's uh, say a prayer together. Lord, I pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you know, get to know me, one of the things you'll get to know is that I take things personally. It's not a great thing about me, but it happens. So if I'm playing basketball with you, I might take something personally. Or if uh, you look at me wrong, I might take it personally. It's, uh, I'm kind of a sensitive sort of person that way. And it's not a real good part of me, but with every bad part of us comes a really good part. And so the really good part of taking things personally is I really take sermons personally. I really take the scriptures personally. And so as, as Ryan's been preaching through Ruth, I've been taking it personally. And what it means to me to take it personally to take the scriptures personally, to take a sermon personally, is to basically try and climb inside the story. So I've taken the book of Ruth, and I'm trying to get inside the story. I'm trying to put myself in the position of Naomi, trying to be Ruth, trying to be Boaz, taking it personally. What, is, what does it mean for me? Not only to climb in there, but to spend time there. Sometimes we read something from scripture or we hear a sermon and then it's out of our minds. It goes away in a few, in a few moments after the service is over. And we ha if you want to take it personally, you got to try to stay there and live there for a while. Live in the book of Ruth. And I can't see a thing with my notes. And then finally, taking it personally means using the book of Ruth or using the scriptures as a lens, like these glasses, as a lens through which you see your life in the world. So this morning, I'm going to talk about how the sermons on Ruth have affected me and how I've tried to take those and look at my own life through Ruth's life, through Boaz's life, through Naomi's life. When uh, one of the first sermons that Ryan did was on the names in the book, he talked about the story of Ruth, and they've got all these weird names, like the sons of Naomi are called something like sick and dying, and Naomi's is pleasant, I think, and yet later she says, don't call me that, call me bitter. And then, uh, that's a little bright, Ryan. Whoa. I mean, <laughs> sensitive guy that I am. I'm taking that personally. 
And uh, Elimelech's name is God is King. So all these names have significance in the book of Ruth. And if you climb inside and you take the book of Ruth seriously, take, the, uh, take them personally, take the scriptures personally, then you've got to ask yourself, what would my name be if there was a story about me and a story about my relationship with God, what would my name be? What would I be in that story? Um, and it made me think about my actual name, which is actually a pretty good description of, of who I am in God. So I'll share that with you. Uh, my first name is Dan. And it's just plain Dan. It's not Daniel. It's not the long version. Every time I get stopped by the cops, they're like, is it? I say, it's Dan, you know, and they say, is it Daniel? No, it's Dan. But back a ways, when I was a first, uh, an early Christian, uh, an early, when I was an, a new Christian, I didn't live with the early Christians. The, uh, <laughs> I'll work out these nerves, I will. I'll get going. But my first name is Dan, and what Dan means is judge. So when I found that out, I'm like, I can live with that, judge, you know, that feels pretty good, I feel, Dan, judge, you know, and so for a long time, I only knew what my first name meant, but uh, a few years later, after I learned what my first name meant, I was driving around in the desert, I love the desert, and I was in California, and I was driving through the desert, and I come across this car that's stuck in the sand, and so I get out to help them push their car and get it out of the sand, and I start talking with this man and this woman in this car. And it turns out, strangely enough, that they are Russian scientists in the desert in California. And I think this might have been before the wall went down. So I'm thinking, wow, Russian scientists stuck in the desert. Anyway, we got talking. I shared my, my family history. And I somehow shared my name because it's sort of Russian. My, my middle name is, is Vlada, which is actually short for Vladimir. So, uh, so I talked to them. I said, you know, I said, oh, my middle name is Vlada. Vla I just said Vladimir because most people don't get the short version. So I said, my middle name is Vladimir. And they go, oh, Vladimir, you know what that means? And I go, no, I don't know what that means. They say, that means ruler of the world. Oh, man. So I'm all good. I judge, ruler of the world. What a fantastic name. I'm going to live up to this name. And actually, my, my name is actually Vladis. So you can say judge, ruler, because mirror means world. So I'm feeling really great. A few years later, we go to visit family. I have family in Czechoslovakia in Prague. It's not Czechoslovakia anymore, in the Czech Republic. But we have, I have family in Prague, and we went to visit them. And so I was curious. I want to find out what my last name means, which is Zazvorka. So we're talking, and I said, what, is, what does Zazvorka mean? And I'm thinking, it's, it's going to mean something really great. You know, judge, ruler, great guy, something like that. And so we're talking, and they, and, and they say, Zazvorka means... They said, it means that little ginger cookie we eat at Christmas time. <laughs> I'm like, what? Gingerbread man? No. And sure enough, the name, so my name, which perfectly describes the tension in my life between who, of who I am, is 
judge, ruler, gingerbread man. <laughs> so, and most of the time, I'm the gingerbread man. I'm not very often the ruler and the judge. So that's what sparked in me from Ryan's sermon about the names in Ruth. My name is about the tension in me between the sides of me that want to be lifted up and the sides of me that crumble and, and, and are good dunked in, in milk or something. I, I, that tension I feel all the time in my life. As you can tell from my name, the other sermons about Ruth being a Moabite, Naomi going to a foreign land, those talk about being a stranger and a foreigner in different settings. And my name is from, is Czech. My dad was from Prague. He escaped under communism. He crawled through the forest, got past the barbed wire, spent a year in a refugee camp, and then was sponsored to the United States. So I grew up with a father who had a thick accent, and, 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 and I got a lot of European thinking as I grew up. And it was, so I kind of grew up understanding what a foreigner is like because I lived with one. On my mom's side, I was also, she was also a stranger in some ways because my mom had mental illness, and my mom was what we called back then manic depressive. And so she was often a, a, a stranger to me and to herself. So I grew up in my life thinking about and just knowing what it feels like to be a stranger or to be around strangers. I think this is what we see in the book of Ruth. We see Naomi who goes to a foreign land and is a stranger. Ruth who is a Moabite who moves back to Israel with Naomi and is a stranger in a strange land. And then we've got Boaz who isn't a stranger but whose mom was Rahab who was a Canaanite who was a prostitute and a Canaanite who came into Israel. So Boaz had a mom who was a stranger, an alien, a foreigner. So he knew what life was like for a stranger. I think that one of the things that's important to know about the journey of faith is that the journey of faith necessitates that we see ourselves as strangers. That we have some connection with what it means to be a stranger. Most of the Old Testament laws that talk about caring for foreigners or caring for strangers have their origins in relating to people as strangers because you were a stranger. We're going to look at a passage from Leviticus, Leviticus 19. And I'm going to just be lazy, as Brian would say, and look at the screen. But when a stranger resides with you in your land, this is in the land of Israel, you shall do, no wrong, do him no wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were aliens, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Egypt. 
I am the Lord your God. So all of these laws in the Old Testament that say strangers should be able to glean the fields behind, uh, uh, of Israel for food. Strangers should be protected. Strangers should be allowed to celebrate the Sabbath. Strangers should be loved and cared for. All of them have their basis in the fact that Israel once lived in Egypt. And when you were in Egypt, God says, you were strangers. So now that you're in Israel, don't ever forget who you were. And if you see a stranger, remember that you were a stranger and pay attention. Not only is it from their experience, this is an experience that Boaz, Boaz knew this in the book of Ruth. Boaz knew that he was in this history. He knew that he had been a stranger in the land of Egypt. But not only do they, were they to look out for strangers because they were once strangers, if we look at Psalm number 146, the psalmist tells us, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. So not only are we to remember that Israel was strangers. They were strangers in Egypt. But God protects strangers. It's part of God's nature. It's who God is. If we follow, if Israel follows the God of Abraham, that's a God who protects and loves strangers. If we move to the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, Paul reminds us, He says, remember that you were at at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Paul's saying not only were, was Israel strangers in Egypt, not only is it part of God's nature to protect strangers, but all of us who have become Christians, we're strangers to God. At one point, Paul says, we were enemies of God, more than strangers, we were enemies of God. But Christ came and broke down the wall between us. And Christ took us from being far away and put us close by. But Paul wants you to remember that you were a stranger. Don't forget it. You may be a friend of God now, but you were a stranger to God at one point. And then finally, in uh, the book of Peter, Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered across all of the countries of the time. And in... in, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fresh, fleshly lust which war against the soul. I urge you as aliens and strangers. So not only were we strangers back when, before we knew God, but all of a sudden Peter's saying, you know, when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, it makes you strange. 
it makes you a stranger. It makes you a foreigner. No longer are you in step with the culture that you're living in. No longer are you in step with the economics that that culture follows. The politics, all of the parts of that culture are different to you because you follow the economics of Jesus. You follow the politics of Jesus. You follow Jesus. So there's so many reasons in scriptures in the scriptures, why we should relate to being a stranger and why we should think of ourselves as strangers or having once been strangers. And the reason we do that is because connecting to our own strangeness leads us to love strangers as God does. Connecting with the stranger in us leads us to loving the strangers out there as God loves them. Now, let's be clear. We're not talking right here, we're not talking about stranger danger, okay? That's for kids. That's fine for kids. You raise your kids to be weary of strangers, but what you need to be thinking and what we need to be thinking about at the same time is as our kids get older, we need to convert stranger danger into love and care of strangers. They need to see their parents reaching out to strangers and to get rid of that childish way of thinking that strangers are always dangerous. So now we're going to jump back to the book of Ruth. If you have a Bible, you can go to Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to look at it. Having set up the scene that knowing you're a stranger is important to how you relate to strangers. Because I think in the book of Ruth, Boaz gives us a great example of who we are as followers of Jesus. If we look at the way... Boaz interacts with Ruth, then we'll find some really neat uh, ways that we can approach and and treat strangers. The first thing is in in Ruth uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Boaz said to his servant, he had come to his field, they're reaping the harvest. Ruth is going along gleaning the fields, which means getting the extras that are left behind. And Boaz comes and he says, he says to his servant, who, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the first thing that Boaz does with a stranger is he notices them. He notices them. He could have just gone up, said, How, hey, is everything going great? And the reaper, the servant could say, yeah, all, everything's cool. Don't worry about it. All, all things are good. And he could have gone home. But he notices Ruth. He notices her. She's a Moabite. She's a stranger, but he notices her. That's the very first thing that I think Boaz has, has to teach us. Now, if you've ever been a stranger, I've been a stranger quite a few times in my life. And if you've ever been a stranger, you know that one of the things you, at least one of the things I want as a stranger is not to be noticed. At least in the wrong way, not to be noticed in the wrong way. 
Because when you're a stranger, if you don't know the, let's say you're in a foreign country and you don't know the language, you don't know the habits, you don't know the society, you can make big mistakes really easily and very quickly. And you don't want everybody noticing that. When I was uh, maybe late teens, our church sent a, bu- a couple of us out for a short-term mission trip to Guatemala. We were a church in San Diego. So a friend and I, we were going to Guatemala to work with a missionary in Guatemala. We uh, basically flew down to Mexico City and in the air, from the airport in Mexico City, got on a bus and took a bus to the border of Guatemala. At the border of Guatemala, which we, there was something we didn't know, that there was actually a civil war going on in Guatemala at the time. Uh, it'd be nice if our church would have told us some of this, but I don't think they knew either. So it was, uh, so my friend and I were sitting on the bus at the border, and of course, the guards and the, the soldiers come to check all the stuff on the bus. They want to make sure everything's good, that contraband isn't coming into the country. So they look under the bus. And in our bags, we were going to be with this missionary in the jungle. And one of the things he asked for was a sledgehammer. So we had this big sledgehammer in our bags that we're taking, big long handle, big, big heavy thing. So they see the sledgehammer, the soldiers, and they want to know what's going on with the sledgehammer. <laughs> of course, we don't speak very good Spanish, if uh, hardly any Spanish. So they come on the bus. They've got machine guns. And the soldiers come on the bus. And they go, <laughs> at least that's how it sounded to us. So we're sitting in the back. And we're like, yeah. And apparently, they are yelling at us or whoever has the bag with the sledgehammer. So finally, everybody starts looking around at us when the, the soldiers are getting more and more hyped up. And so we start looking around, and everybody kind of makes us stand up because they it's you, you guys' bags, so you stand up. So we stand up. Now, one of the things that you don't know about, you don't often know about going to another country is that body language is different. I just assume it's the same. So in the United States, if you want somebody to come here, you go like this. In Mexico or Guatemala, if you want them to come here, you go like this. Of course, in the United States, this could mean sit down. So sure enough, we stand up. The guy goes like this. We sit back down. He starts, he gets so mad, he starts yelling and yelling, and we're looking around, and everybody's looking at us, and he's grabbing his machine gun, and so we stand back up, and he goes like that, and we sit back down. It's horrific. Everybody on the bus is so nervous, they grab us, and they push us off the bus, and the guy is holding his machine gun at us, and we go around, and he sees the sledgehammer, and we try to explain to him what it is, and... Finally, they let us go. But the littlest things, like not knowing how people say come here, can put you in danger as a stranger. So you don't really want to be noticed. You want to fly under the radar. We see this in the book of Ruth. Ruth wants to go to the field, glean some wheat, but she's always, it's always talking about the danger she would be in from people that might be around her, that might take advantage of her. 
So she doesn't really want to be noticed in the bad way. But she does want to be noticed in a good way. And that's what Boaz does. He notices her for good. He says, who is that? So that he can, bl- can take care of her and do good things for her, not for evil. When Kelly and I went down to Mexico City with our family, we got, went on the train. Unfortunately, the train stopped in Guadalajara, which we thought was going to go all the way to Mexico City. So we had to get off the train in Guadalajara, and we didn't know what to do. We were exhausted. We had our kids that were ages four and six, two daughters, and we were scared. And there was a man who noticed us as strangers. He came up to us and he said, follow me. I will take care of you. Sure enough, he took us into the taxi. And with the taxi, he took us downtown to the bus station. He took us up to the counter at the bus station. He helped us buy four tickets on the bus to Mexico City. He told us where to sit. When the bus was ready to go, he came over. He got us and he helped us get on the bus in time. That's the good kind of way you want to be noticed when you're a stranger. You want to be noticed for good and not for evil. So Boaz notices Ruth. That's the first thing that he could teach us, is how to notice people that are strangers. The second thing Boaz does is he provides for Ruth's basic needs. In Ruth uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we see that Boaz said to Ruth, after he noticed her, he called her over and he said, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not Go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one, but stay here with my maids. And then the next verse, let your eyes be on the field, on the field which they reap, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. So the second thing that Boaz has learned probably from his mother and from his history as an Israelite is that with strangers, you care for their basic needs, food, water, protection. All of these things Boaz is offering to Ruth as a stranger, as a foreigner. All of these things, we have a word for this. All of these things equal the word hospitality. Hospitality. So first, Boaz notices Ruth. Then Boaz offers hospitality to Ruth. Hospitality is a huge thing in the Near East. Food, water, protection. Clothing, housing. When you are a stranger, it's the littlest things that make the difference. I asked Kelly in preparing for the sermon, I asked her, what, may, what, was, what did you experience as a stranger being, living in Mexico? What was important to you? And Kelly said, you know, what I really wanted was somebody to take me shopping and show me how. Just to show how to shop. Teach me a few words of foods uh, Help me deal with the money. The little things are what's important to strangers. 
just the little things. The other day, uh, maybe three weeks ago, I was driving around. I work in construction. I'm a carpenter. I, was dr- I go- went into Home Depot, um, and I was coming out of Home Depot, and there was a family standing there with a sign saying, need help or something, a cardboard sign, just coming out of Home Depot. It was a, a father and a mother and two, two daughters, two young girls. And so I thought, ooh, I should stop. These are strangers. I'm thinking about preaching on strangers. Here they are. I should stop. And so I stopped, and I said, what do you, what do you need? And they said, well, we need food and gas. My husband's getting a job next week. We just need these things to get us to next week. So the McDonald's is right there, and I said, well, let's go to, why don't we go over to McDonald's and get some food? Um, so the, one of the, the mother and the daughter went with me over to McDonald's. And we went in there, and she looked at me. She said, uh, how, much should I, how much money should I spend to order? It was really awkward for her. How much should I ask for? And, and my experience, you know, some of my experience uh, in being treated generously by Rosemary Ward in particular, who, when I was little, just gave me the whole pie instead of one piece. So I'm thinking, I got to be like Rosemary Ward. So she looks at me, she says, how much? I say, as much as you want. Just get all the food you want. (laughs) It doesn't matter. And she lit up. And that's what is good for a stranger to feel that someone is looking out for them and caring for them. She lit up and she said, I will pray for you. She's the one that needs prayer, but she was praying for me because of, of, of this. But basic needs, food, clothing. Uh, another story that I have is once I went to a conference on spiritual disciplines, and sometimes Christian conferences are, are done at really expensive hotels. I'm not really sure why, but I don't really uh, have all that money to go to that expensive hotel with everybody else sometimes. So this conference was in Long Beach, and I flew into Long Beach, and I looked for a cheap hotel, because that's all I have the money for. So I found this little hotel about half a mile. Every day, I would walk back and forth from my cheap hotel to the conference on spiritual disciplines and and things, and then walk back to uh, my hotel room. And so one day, I, it was night, and I was walking back, and it was kind of a dicey neighborhood, I would say. And uh, as I was walking, I'm, I have kind of cultivated some of these things of noticing strangers and wanting to care for them. So I passed a young African-American guy, and he passed me, and I said, hi, how you doing? He's, and he pa- as he passes, he says, I'm, I'm good. And he goes on. I'm like, okay, that's good. And and so then I go to my hotel room, and I go inside, and I get ready to sleep. And, and 10 minutes later, I hear this knock on the door. And, uh, and then um, I go to the door, and I open up, and here's this guy. And at first, I'm like, okay, this could be either really bad or really bad. <laughs> I don't know. I was really nervous. All I did, and all I did was notice him. But this guy, I said, yeah, what can I, how can I help you? He said, this is going to sound strange. But he says, 
could I come into your hotel room and lay down and sleep? He's like, I don't want food. I don't want any money. I don't want anything. I just want to sleep. And I was kind of drawn back. I was kind of surprised. And eventually I just said, okay, come on in. And he laid on the ground. He didn't even want to lay on the bed. He wouldn't even lay on the bed. And he conked out and slept for like four hours straight. And in the middle of the night, he got up and left. Sometimes a stranger just needs to sleep. Just the basic things. Let's see. Yeah, one more story. Um, back uh, maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer, my daughter, uh, who is here, by the way, <laughs> was li- uh, we were living in San Francisco, and she moved to Waco, Texas, and she lived a couple years in Waco, Texas. And I kept telling her that I would go, was going to go to visit her. And uh, she said, yeah, sure, Dad. I'll, see, I'll believe it when I see it. So I decided to surprise her. So uh, I flew to Waco. We had some friends I, uh, there, so I stayed with them. And I was going to go to... Hannah worked at a place called Smoothie King. I don't know if you've heard of Smoothie King. It's kind of like Jamba Juice, but a little with more not-so-good stuff or whatever. I don't know what it is. More sugar in the stuff or whatever. Uh, So she worked at Smoothie King. Well, as I was walking to Smoothie King, I decided to walk there. It was a couple miles. I decided to play a trick on my daughter. I started collecting, going into thrift stores and different stores along the way and putting on clothes to make myself look like a homeless person at least look like a homeless person in San Francisco, maybe not in Waco. So I got a trench coat, and I got this weird hat, and then I went in this 99-cent store and bought this fake wig thing and put this wig thing on, and then I'm like, oh, she's going to recognize my mustache. So I went in a hardware store, and I got this dust mask. And so I had this dust mask and this wig and this big coat. And so, uh, and so I decided I'm going to... I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to go into her store like this. So I I find the Smoothie King. And I walk by at first. I think I just walked by because I was so nervous. You know, I was like, I don't want to blow this. I've got to change my voice and everything. So I walked by, and I was walking around the parking lot. What I didn't know was that everybody else in this mini mall were, like, freaking out that this weird person had showed up. And they were calling the cops, so, <laughs> right? So, I only had a liberty time, but I had no idea that, that. So, I finally got up the courage, went in the store, and I was, like, rocking back and forth. And, and uh, my, I could see my daughter, and she's a little nervous because she does not recognize me. And she's like, who is this weird person, you know, in the... And then, uh, so I go up to the counter... And before I went up to the counter, I I put a few coins in my hand, like a few pennies and a bunch of cigarette butts I had found in the parking lot. (laughs) And so she comes up and she says, what what would you like, sir? She noticed me. I said, what would you you like, sir? So I said, I'm on a smoothie. I'm on a smoothie. And she's like, you want a smoothie? And I'm like, mmm, like this. And so I, I, she... 
she reaches out her hand for the money, and I drop the cigarette butts and the coins into her hands. And that's only two pennies. You know, smoothies aren't two pennies and cigarette butts. So she looked at it. But she has been around enough strangers with me. She has watched what we do with strangers. So she took and she put it down. And she acted like it was normally per- perfectly normal price for the smoothie. She went back and she made up the smoothie. And I watched her. She reached into her purse and she pulled out of her wallet the money for a smoothie. And she has no idea. Her dad is watching her loving strangers, which is a very important thing for me. It was one of the best things in my life to watch her generosity. And she took the money out of the, of the purse and she put it in the cash register for the smoothie. And then she brought the smoothie over and she gave it to me and I sucked on it and I left. And then all the other people from the stores came over there and said, hey, you see that guy? Uh, we called the cops. And as I walked away, uh, but she, Hannah knew that I needed to be noticed as a stranger. I needed to be given basic things. Even though the drink had twice as much sugar as it should have. Because Hannah, Hannah knows that uh, a lot of homeless people are addicts in San Francisco. And addicts love sugar. So she just, she thought I might be an addict. So she was pouring in the sugar. So when I sucked on it, I was like, whoa, Smoothie King, really? Uh, you. So noticing strangers, Boaz notices Ruth. And then giving them what they basically need. A couple of passages that we'll just go through real quickly reinforce this. Jesus says in Matthew 25, he says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. You never know when the stranger that you're giving to and caring for and noticing is representing Jesus. Also in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. God cares about strangers. Boaz cared for a stranger, and God wants us to be looking out for strangers. The third thing that Boaz does, and the last thing that we'll talk about, is that Boaz, Boaz in, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 13, Boaz blessed Ruth. Boaz blessed Ruth. May the Lord reward you for your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You notice strangers, you care for them, and you bless them. We often get that order tweaked. We want to just drive up to someone holding a sign and say, God bless you. Jesus bless you. God loves you. And we forget the necessity part, the things that are important before you bless someone. I don't know how much time I have left. Probably long. One quick last story about blessing people. One of the things we did in San Francisco 
for uh, our teenagers was take them on rites of passage trips. So we had this one teenager named Kevin. We were going to take him on a rites of passage trip to show him something about being an adult. And we knew that Kevin didn't have a father. And so I wanted to show him that no matter where he went in the world, he could find a wise Christian man that he could rely on and ask questions to. So what we decided to do was we blindfolded Kevin. We put up a map of Mexico, of Mexico on the wall. We said, Kevin, throw the dart. We gave him a dart, and we said, Kevin, throw the dart at that uh, straight ahead. So he threw it. He had no idea what he was doing. It hit a small village in the mountains of Mexico. Well, he didn't know. He was let out blindfolded. So a few weeks later, we went on a trip, and we were going to that village, but he had no idea. So we, I won't tell the whole story about that. Finally, we ended up at the village. In the village, we started asking people. We said, Kevin, we're looking for a wise Christian man in this Mexican village in these mountains. So we started asking people, and uh, do, you, do you know where a wise Christian man is? And eventually, people led us to this one house, this man named Don Choi. We knocked on the door. His wife came to the doors, and there's three gringos standing at your door in the mountains of Mexico. It's not something that happens every day. And she looked at us. She's like, yes. We're, and I said, we're here to see your husband. We heard he was a wise Christian man, and we want to talk to him. She's like, I'll go ask my husband. He had just gotten out of the hospital from cutting off his fingers. He is also a carpenter. And so he had these bandages on his arms. He could have easily refused us. But he, was, he said, no, invite him in. So they, they noticed us. They invited us in. They served us drinks and, and food. And they had no clue who we were. And we're, we said, we're here to talk to wise Christian men. Months earlier, Kevin was told to write down the five most important questions he would think his adult life would have. Five questions. We're sitting with Don Choi in his living, in his house, his little house. And I, I turned to Kevin and said, pull out your five questions. You're asking Don Choi these questions. He answered all the questions. He answered them with wisdom, with scripture. It was amazing. I was not sure this whole thing was going to even work out. And here we were with Don Choi after being noticed and given hospitality. And finally, you know what he did? He blessed us. He said God's blessing on us. That man knew what it was to love strangers like God loves strangers. I'm the kind of preacher that gives homework. You may not like homework, <laughs> but I'm going to give you some homework for this week. And you don't have to do it, but I encourage you to. Your homework is notice a stranger. You can do this together or separately or by yourself or we're in a group. Notice a stranger this week or this next couple weeks. Pay attention. Be ready. If you see someone that looks like they're a stranger, notice them. That's right. And the second one, the second thing is give them some basic need that they need. Is it directions? Is it food? Is it help? Is it gas? 
What is it that they, is it a hug? Notice a stranger and give them something basic that they need. And the third thing is after you've done that, bless them. Bless them. Say, tell them how much God means to you and how much God loves them or how much God cares for them because that's what God has led you to do. Let's try and be like Boaz. Let's be lovers of strangers.